This is Back to Debbie, a show brought to you by Campus to Canton. This podcast specializes in collegiate football players and their potential for future fantasy success in the NFL. I'm your host, Mike V, and this is not my co-host, Corey P. I got so jealous of how much Austin was making Corey laugh. I went full jealous girlfriend, you know. I'm not I'm not cool like Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift is. So I, I got real jealous over here in the box seats watching my man laugh with some other dudes. So I brought on the newest member of the Debbie team, Aaron Wilcox. And today we're going to go over G5 react. Oh, sorry. Week five reactions. And then we're going to talk about the G5 players that we're looking at that we think actually have some Debbie value. And we're always going to go over our game of the week, which Corey and Austin forgot last week. So shame on them. All right. No one, for, no one forget that. Uh, we're four weeks in. Uh, I kept saying the first four weeks how I believe like it's kind of like setting the tone. So stuff's kind of overreaction. I don't think anything's overreaction at this point in time. I think we now know how players can perform the rest of the year. We saw the non-com games. Now they play a little bit tougher schedules for the Power 5 teams. The G5 guys get a little bit lighter. But if they didn't step up against Power 5, I don't think they really care too much. But uh, there could always be surprising opportunities, though. Uh, you know, guys that were injured that are getting back into the system. You got those true freshmen that are still working into game speed. Even transfers, you know, guys that are just kind of working into the system a little bit slower than others. So there's still some leeway. You know, I'm just kind of generalizing here. But I do believe at this point in time, like, if you if they haven't flashed by now, I, I don't know if you should really care this year about them. All right, Aaron, how are you doing today? Hey, you know, Mike, I'm I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, exciting things going on in my life. You know, just got married and it's mm. been kind of a big blur, busy week. But man, it just feels good to be able to to watch some football again this last weekend. Um, as I wasn't really watching the week before, so it was great to get caught up on yeah. all the news and the games. And yeah, so the, the fun time of the year. Really love I, it. And I need to go back to a point you just made though. You had a you had a wedding in fall. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a quote-unquote football guy having a wedding in fall. Was it Saturday or Saturday or or, or Sunday? Like, let's get that out of the way. Which day was it? It, it was a Saturday, too. Oh, he skipped, he skipped <laughs> college football for the NFL. I can't believe that. I mean, did you, did you at least make it up to your guests somehow? Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, we, we went to Home Field Apparel, you know, got them party favors. Um, just saved an insane amount of money. Uh, on that and basically funded our Germany and Italy trip coming up here with, with how much you can get off. So, so head on over to home field apparel, go, uh, go use the, the promo code campus two. So the number two Canton uh, for 15% off your first purchase. But yes, that is a great way to go ahead and, and get some nice apparel for college. Um, anybody who enjoys college football and I, no matter what Mike says, don't let, don't let him twist you. Don't let him, you know, manipulate you. I, I love football. Mm. Uh, one, one week thing, you know, it was a moment of weakness. Right. And then we're, we're back. We're back. Baby. Guess we know who has the pants in the relationship then. huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you made it up for your guests with, uh, with a promo code. Hopefully I had like a TV near the open bar, probably, you know, no, well, definitely had the open bar part, but you know, oh, you yeah. know, there was some, um, a lot of football talk with some of the guests. For sure. Nice. Uh, let's go into our week five reactions though. Um, let's start off with Quinshawn Jenkins. Uh, it's been a, a kind of a slow start. Uh, I know there's like rumors of an injury there, some sort of hamstring thing. I was like slowing him down. Um, I think it was two weeks ago where I was talking to Corey about, and I was talking about how he just doesn't seem to be a decisive runner. Like he's waiting for holes to open up and they're just not, and they clearly weren't. And then he would just, you know, just kind of fall too easily for my liking in the backfield, getting like one yard gains. And that's about it. I think he even came out and like, 
I don't want to say blame, but like, you know, he said something on like TV about like, oh, my line's not opening up holes like they were last year, which I was kind of like, that's a little extreme. But he looked really good this last week. He looked like him all himself. I really wasn't panicking. He's still the same player. There was no like variables around his game that really changed. So I can't say the entire year last year, like every single week was a fluke. It just wasn't. Uh, so I'm glad to see Quinshawn looking like his own self. Um, did you have any, uh, what do you think about Quinshawn this week? You know, and that was just a fun game, right? Ole Miss going to LSU or playing against LSU. Um, I think they were at home actually, but man, it was just high scoring, a lot of offense going on there. And I mean, it's not like we want to take that with a grain of salt because it is amazing to see Quinshawn Judkins do that against a legit SEC defense, but that's not quite the LSU defense that we've seen um, in in years past. So ultimately 4.2 yards per carry on the season, um, one and a half yards less than he had last season on average. And, you know, a little bit concerning. So potentially, yes, some injury concerns. I haven't really seen much of that substantiated other than just speculation rumors. So ultimately I have never really thought of him as like this elite, elite athlete that, that some tagged him as, but he's a good enough athlete. He's a very functional athlete and running back. And I, I do think ultimately he's a good back, whether he's had some issues with the, the offensive line continuity or whatnot this year. So it's good to see him trending back up. I, I'm not you know, panicking by any means. It's not like he had some super concerning injury or a huge, like, you know, weight gain or weight loss or something that should be putting on the red flags. So Quinshawn Junkins, he's, he's looking like he's getting back to his old self. And then speaking of like stock up, I wanted to ask your opinion about Ray Davis this past week, he dropped 280 yards against Florida, uh, three touchdowns. I'm posting nonstop Florida memes because I'm, I'm a Kentucky fan. Uh, posting dead gators all over my my timeline but i i wanted to ask you if you had any like draft opinions rest of season opinions about ray davis I, he's always a guy i pegged as like middle day three power back that like may or may not get his shine may or may not be uh, a desired handcuff for your fantasy teams in the future but i might be wavering on that opinion i just want to know what your opinion is currently of ray davis yeah, I mean, he is interesting. And does he belong in the NFL? Sure. But is it like a Gus Edwards or like a, a Mike Davis type of situation? Or is he actually a guy who could hold down a starting job? And I still lean towards probably not really a, a notable starter at the NFL level. But hey, if you have him in a, a C2C league or CFF league, you're loving that. And hopefully you started him this last week against Florida. Because I mean, he just torched him. And, and part of that's again, on, on Florida, but at the end of the day, he's been a lot better this season. And I mean, he's taken on some SEC defenders there. So, I mean, it, it, it's not as though it was just a fluke against bad competition, but speaking of competition, you look at his previous games and it was ball state. It was Eastern Kentucky. It was Akron. It was Vanderbilt who, I mean, again, SEC, but it's like, eh, are they a powerhouse defense? No. So at the end of the day, Ray Davis, let's see how he finishes the year. Pretty strong as far as, you know, what, five games in, but yep. yes, I, I got to see how that finishes out. He's been better, but he's a fifth year guy. I, I mean, he might just be bigger and more physical than some of these defenders. And ultimately if he's not going to test at a, a top end level um, at the combine at the pro day, et cetera, which I, I don't think he is. I think he's functional, but he's not an insane athlete. Um, I, I do think that NFL teams might not prioritize, prioritize him come draft day. Yeah. So Ray Davis for me is still a, you know, we talked pre-show. I think he's a little bit more of a middling talent. I do think he like solidifies 
his day three draft capital for me. Like I'm, I'm now feel very confident he's gonna be like a mid mid rounder. You know, maybe gets into the fourth would be kind of a surprise for me. Um, but I did like what I saw. I also saw a real analytics post that he ran 21.7 miles per hour, which I think didn't really feel right to me watching him play. But it's nice seeing him like bounce back because he was, you know, quote unquote, like a human joystick. His year one, 2019 at Temple. Um, I, I think he's looking even a little bit better as an athlete than last year. So I like seeing that. Um, I still think he's a, a mid midday three pick. And, you know, I'm thinking about like, is he better than Chris Rodriguez? Is he better than Benny Snell? I, I think he's a little bit better than those prospects that were both midday three type guys. Um, let's go to another running back, though. Lev Moss. Putting together two solid weeks a row against SEC competition. Uh, there's been long debated who's going to be the next Texas A&M running back. Even going into the year, like, I want to say there wasn't anybody with over, like, 50 rushing attempts returning to the team. So it was super wide open. And, and I know that Ruben Owens came in, and he was a, a five-star. He was the RB1 for the longest time. But it's looking like it's Lev Moss's backfield for me right now. Um, I have no idea what I think of him in the future. But I, I used to bury him in rankings. I think I had to move him back up. I want to say like probably to like the 50s or 60s in that zone of like I got to watch him to see more. Uh, but Lev Moss, a uh, guy that's – if he can see this in production, I definitely got to – we got to have more serious conversations about him. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean definitely consider him like he has the – he has the size. He has some of the recruiting pedigree, I guess you could say. And now the opportunity because he's starting to get double digit carries where he was not really getting that the first couple of weeks of the season. Cause like you said, there was other guys, Ruben Owens and I'm forgetting. Um, why am I blanking on the other guy? Amari Daniels, right? Amari um, Daniels. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think Daniels is that it, I don't know, he's just not very special. And I think that Ruben Owen could potentially develop into a, a pretty solid back. I, I know that, you know, you have not been necessarily an Owens fan. I And, and I am <laughs> an Owens fan, uh, but he's been better in the receiving game thus far than any of these other Texas A&M backs. So I think that Owens might be able to secure more of that. But, you know, at the end of the day, Le'Veon Moss, are they going to choose him to be more of that grinder? Like they've they've went after those guys, Isaiah Spiller, as far as guys who can, you know, maybe not the most electric, but they're going to give him a lot of carries because, well, they're they're big enough they can handle that load. So Le'Veon Moss, certainly a guy I'm keeping my eye on now. Um, I don't know in Debbie leagues, you know, has he been drafted a whole lot of late? No, I mean he was kind of an afterthought. So yeah. certainly a guy who's available in a lot of leagues. C to C leagues, sure, maybe not, but yes, we need to keep an eye on Moss and see how that that develops because he's been pretty efficient thus far too. Yeah, I mean six point five yards against Auburn, six point three yards against Arkansas, um, even receiving last game like three receptions for twenty seven yards, like that was. Uh, pretty impressive, but but I still I agree with you on like I think Ruben Owens for me coming out I thought his skill set was more pass catching more than it was like grinder, and I could see them going forward the usual split and it being Lev Moss for early down usage and uh, Ruben Owens used more for pass catching and I do think Ruben Owens we're multiple years away from this is like a pass catching running back at the next level, um, but me and Corey talk about how we really don't care about those guys too much, but I I I am I'm interested in Lev Moss now like, I'm paying attention to him. I mean, he could be like really good throwing on deals too in your C to C leagues if you have like just want to nudge a little bit more in a certain direction. Going over to his teammate though, Max Johnson, he's in. Uh, Connor Wegman's out. We got to talk about both these guys, honestly. I'm going to write down Connor Wegman though. Um, let's start off with him. Connor Wegman, the one Debbie asset here, we, I want to say as a company, probably thought he was the QB two or three in his class. Um, 
what, what are you doing with him? Like, what are you, are you like scared off a little bit from this injury or not moving him? What are your thoughts on his long term? I I honestly don't mind the idea of holding and or even buying if you're comfortable with that because I just don't think that in the long term they're going to say, oh wow, Max Johnson is just this this stud. We got to start him all this year. We got to bring him back for another year. It's like you know, Max Johnson's going to get them through. And Max Johnson has been solid in the past. He's been able to start for, what, LSU? And he has that experience, but we saw that he didn't win the job. And ultimately, Connor Wigman did, and he looked very good up until that injury. So, I mean, as far as some of the statistics that he was putting up, Wigman was doing great. So you can knock, you know, competition, this or that. Um, but I honestly like that he gave this life some gave life to this offense and Wigman was doing just so well. So I don't think that the injury should be something where he'll come in next year and be really hampered. Like, no, he should be back. Uh, wouldn't anticipate anything long-term. Not that I know everything about um, the injury status there, but you know, I, I'm not concerned with Wigman at all. And, you know, Max Johnson, he's going to be fine for your C to C leagues. If he's, if he's out there, I don't think he's going to be some elite league winning type guy though. You know, I I knew you always look at stuff with like rose colored glasses, and I actually agree with you on this one. I, I'm, I'm with you on this. I think he's a great buy. Uh, it's a foot injury. Connor Wegman's not like a running dual threat quarterback. You know, like it was if it was a foot injury on like Anthony Richardson in college, I would have been a lot more concerned. Uh, but I thought Connor Wegman offers a lot more through the air than he does on the ground. I mean, I, I, he's not a dual threat, so I'm not scared off a foot injury. I don't think his mechanics are going to get messed up. He even when he gets, I don't, I can't remember the severity of the injury, but I know he's out rest of the season, but like let's say like he gets surgery, he can still throw a football. Like he can still do throwing drills and like still like make sure that upper half of his body is still toned and ready to go. You're more of the PT though than me on that one, but I'm not really too concerned about any type of mechanical issues or anything like that. It just sucks that we get get to miss out on the continued growth. But he's been phenomenal for through three games. Even the Miami Florida game, which I think is like a top 10 secondary to me. Like, I was still really impressed with his performance, even though they lost. Like, that was still a really good game for a second-year player. Uh, so, I, I think I think this could be a really good buy opportunity, C2C and Debbie. Uh, talking about his teammate, though, Mac Johnson, I, I think Mac Johnson's fun. Like, I think he's – I don't know. I don't think I have any Debbie expectations, but, like, I'm not I'm not benching or I'm not worried about my Xavier um, – not Xavier, excuse me, my Evan Stewart shares. Like, I, I'm, like – I'm not, I'm okay with it. I think he's a little bit more erratic with his turnovers, which could also make for some fun games, but uh, I'm like, I'm excited actually for Max Johnson. I'm not, I'm not like really like disheartened by it. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. And and honestly, he's throwing to his brother, right? Jake is a tight end there. If, yeah, if I'm yeah. correct. So yeah, that's a fun connection. And yeah, ultimately fun. Is, is it NFL type of fun? You know, NFL future? Yeah. Not in my opinion, right? <laughs> No, and it's not as fun as, as uh, Minshew Mania. They need to get that guy starting on a team. I'm sorry. Gardner Minshew deserves a start in the NFL. Um, anyway, I always have to say that. Let's get on over to uh, Brian Thomas, who I just turned on a little bit of film of for the first time. Uh, he just finished his third, I think, 100-yard game out of out of all these weeks. Might be It might be 200-yard games, but whatever. He has been coming back from, I don't know want to say like no man's land, but we've been very disinterested in him as a Debbie asset. And I know me and Corey are going to do a film session probably next week and talk about what we think of him as a player. I got in the chat today because I wanted to ask some guys opinions about him. So I'm, I know uh, Austin out there was saying, uh, 
he's really good at the deep ball and really good at in the uh on his screens you know i we just don't know how he is in between and, and i like the one game i watched i only watched one game with him like there wasn't a lot of like possession type stuff there wasn't a lot of over the middle uh it just seemed like busted coverage a lot him running around defenders and just kind of seemed like not schemed open but like it wasn't like he was anything spectacular so i don't know what to think about him i'm definitely super interested i definitely put him up in my rankings um do you have any any opinions about brian thomas i just honestly like what he's been showing thus far at the end of the day, he has the size. He has the recruiting pedigree, former, what, four-star, top 10 wide receiver in the class. And he took a little bit of time. And he's one of those dudes where if you go off the analysis of his freshman or sophomore seasons, you're going to say, yeah, he's kind of meh. You know, maybe not this great creator, but I honestly think he's developed in a lot of different areas of his game. And ultimately, you're right. He is used underneath. He is used deep. But I think to me that says, well, that intermediate area, is an area he can grow into because ultimately he's doing more and more things at the wide receiver position than just these one trick ponies. So he's doing it in an LSU offense. Excuse me. He's kind of keeping pace somewhat with Malik neighbors. Who's just a stud like Malik neighbors honestly might be what a top. Well, for some people, he's not even quite like in that top three area, but I honestly think he's, he's close to that top three um, in this class for the wide receivers. So ultimately this guy is trying to keep pace with that. Brian Thomas has been impressing. If you look at some of the uh, statistics this season, I mean, it's been pretty impressive as far as a 30% receiving yards market share, um, greater than three yards per pass attempt. I mean, that's, um, or yeah, I mean that that's very impressive to me. So ultimately he has a lot of things going his way, just needs to keep it up and, and show that he's got that well-rounded game. I mean, he's come up big against big defenses too. Because I I remember like him breaking, not breaking out, but his game against Arkansas. I was like, that, and that's the game I watched because like I don't know how good Arkansas defense is. I don't. I thought they were kind of on a down year personally. Um, but yeah, I I don't have anything more to say about him. I gotta look, I gotta watch him more. I gotta make a, more of a pain about him. I do like when my receivers can create on their own. I don't want to get stuck with like. You know, the NFL now, we're like, we're still waiting for Burks to break out. And Burks is supposed to be like a good athlete. You got to scheme him open. Like maybe he can turn, like, learn to run slants the way AJ Brown does. Or, or, um, you know, Johnson now, like, Johnson's struggling. And you have all of, you know, fancy Twitter blown up about him. It's only been five weeks or, or four weeks. Um, but I, I do want my receivers to be somewhat creative. And so I'm a little bit concerned about it. And I'm looking at their 24 7 page. Uh, their comp for him was Denzel Mims. How do you feel about that comp? I mean, it is what it is. Like, I don't think he's that dissimilar <laughs> from Mims, but you know, is Mims that much different than T Higgins? And ultimately we got to say, yeah, I mean, they have their similarities out there. Yeah. Um, not saying that obviously Mims was consistent enough to be a good NFL receiver. So at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like I couldn't see that comp by any means, but and I'm not even saying that T Higgins is like the perfect comp either, but there are those guys out there. You said that they need to be able to create and it to some degree that's correct, create some sort of separation, but you know, not everybody's going to be a Tyreek Hill and you know, Jalen Waddle and, and Diggs and, and those guys who are a little bit smaller, more shifty. There are still some guys at the NFL level, like Nico Collins going off right now, who I kind of wrote off as well. It's like, I didn't think he could do, you know, much in the intermediate areas of the field and, and, not even saying that he is, but he's just blowing up now. And I'm not even a believer. I'm not buying Nico Collins necessarily. Oh, um, I, I am a believer. I am. Yeah, yeah, you better right. watch him out. You better watch out. <laughs> well, there you go. So so it kind of another proof of these guys who can 
can make it work, even though they're maybe not the most nuanced, twitchy, small, uh, versatile guys. So Brian Thomas could be there. I actually put out a couple of trade offers for him in leagues nice. this week. Nothing has been um, done yet. Nothing's been <laughs> acquired, but we'll see. We'll see how my efforts end up. I think it's okay. I think people get way too sensitive about trades it's, it, at any format whatsoever across. Like they'll like post trades, be like, you know, like what is this? And then they, you know, they post like a bad trade. If I want a player like off my roster, for example, I will offer a trade to all eleven of my league mates, and it's probably going to be poopy across the board. But it only takes one guy to hit accept for me to really care, you know. So I mean, I don't put a lot like unless unless me you have relations and we've we've done trades before. I'll put more thought into that. But if we don't. I'm just I'm shooting. I'm shoot. I'm shooter shoot, man. I'm out here popping shots to get guys off my roster. Um. Anyway, but as of today for Brian Thomas uh, Jr., I. I'm of the opinion that I think he can be a rotational NFL like wide receiver piece. Like I think he has a role in the offense. I just don't I don't know if he's number one or number two, but like I, I think as of today, I feel pretty good about him transitioning over to the NFL. I think I think the rules for TV transferred over the podcast as a PG show, PG thirteen show, we're allowed to have one curse word. And I I don't I like who the fuck is Amarian Miller of Colorado? Like, could you answer that question for me? I mean, he was just an under-the-radar freshman. I mean, honestly, here are some of the, the things that I wrote down when I was watching him, um, just scouting him as a, as a recruit. So I haven't even really seen him play other than just a couple of highlights here in college. But the fact that he's getting involved in a very productive offense, what should be a productive offense this year, next year, who, who knows how long. Um, but at one point, he was a top 80 overall player as far as a recruit goes. He fell a little bit, you know, lower end of four star, but ultimately like LSU, Nebraska were a couple teams that were very interested in him. I think at one point he committed to LSU. I, I want to say actually, but Omarion Miller, he was, um, I mean, he's a good high school producer. At least he was productive. I mean, I was never blown away by athleticism, but, or I thought he was raw. So, I mean, you mentioned Terrace Marshall earlier. I, he, he reminded me of Terrace Marshall, to be honest, but I think he has enough athleticism to make it work. And most importantly, the system's working out and he's getting playing time. Uh, did that coincide with Travis Hunter being out and Xavier Worthy was kind of not as effective as he normally is like, there were some factors that got Omarion Miller onto the field, but sometimes that's all it takes is getting these guys the opportunity. They start popping and the coach says, let's get him involved in this offense. And as a true freshman, I mean, you, you just got to watch for that. That's exciting to see. Yeah. I like to preach your one zero. I try to be too critical of true freshmen. A lot of it's like trying to get used to game speed. Maybe they're just doing simple stuff because you know, it's a whole new level. Um, I do think he was committed to Nebraska, though. I'm not sure if it was, I think you said LSU or something like that, but I think it was Nebraska yeah. he was committed yeah. to. For sure. Um, I saw the Nebraska, and LSU was on there. Maybe they were just interested. Maybe they gave him an offer yeah. or, or a visit or something, but yeah. I'm looking, since you started talking about your grades, I'm looking at him. He's at the bottom of my tier three, wide receiver 30, 30 35. <laughs> wide receiver 35. Um, I gave him really good athletic scores, but I was like a technician. I gave him really high level in play strength and that gave him pretty mediocre levels of footwork and route deception. I thought I saw that too in this game. I, I watched it again, true freshman. So like take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but like he got caught from behind multiple times. Like I love the toe tap on the side. I loved seeing that. So that was pretty awesome to see. Um, I just thought it was really bad coverage more than it was him being a stud out there. So I, 
I and and defenders were on him. Like they had good coverage on him too. So separation wasn't there either. Uh so I I don't know. I'm definitely interested. Obviously, be the year one zero mode. I don't even have my rankings. I will be putting him on my rankings this week. Um, but not too impressed. But again, I'm watching him and I, I think people underestimate how much this scheme has really helped Colorado as a whole. And also that game was way out of hand early. I don't think USC even cared, like after halftime. Don't think they cared. Uh, going on to let's let's go on to another freshman. Let's go on to Tyler Brown, three-star freshman for uh, for Clemson. I I, th- I think he's the truth, though. I actually do think he's the truth. I think he's shown some versatile usage, especially with Antonio Williams out. He's slid into that one role very easily, surpassing Bo Collins, surpassing Adam Randall, any other guy that had NFL hype currently or prior. He's he's taken over. He has that typical mold and build too, as well as like for as like separators as go. And just that he's doing this as a three-star freshman is just I think this is huge for him. I think I know Austin came in all smug in the slack saying you wouldn't believe where I put him. And uh I, I haven't like wide receiver. Let me see this. I lost him. But I have I, I have him in my 20s. 24. I have him wide receiver 24. I think he's a top five to ten guy in this class currently and i don't think he lets go of that i just i don't see a reason for him to not continue this production even when antonio williams does come back and i'm sure his production will fall because antonio williams is very talented in his own right as soon as antonio williams leaves like he should he should easily take over this role i think he's very projectable to i'm all about it i'm all in I, i i really do love tyler brown yeah, and I get it. I mean, he's especially taken over now that Antonio Williams has been banged up. And Williams should be coming back soon. I, I think it's to be determined, but he's anticipated back this next weekend. And ultimately, that doesn't take away from Tyler Brown. Like like we said with Amarian Miller, to a degree, it matters what these guys do when they get on the field. And he's impressing, and he's earned the, the trust of the coaches out there. So Clemson, obviously having a very rich history in developing wide receivers say whatever you want about the team currently and and maybe the scoring and passing environment. I I still have enough faith for them to be able to funnel some targets to the top few guys. And Tyler Brown seems to be solidifying himself as maybe the number one or number two guy there, especially long-term. So yes, I like Tyler Brown. I need to sit down and watch even more to get the true understanding of how he wins, how he's going to maybe translate to the next level. But you can't deny what he's done thus far because he's been very efficient and been able to handle some increased volume the last two weeks. So I'm excited to see what what the Tyler Brown future um, holds and, and kind of excited for that duo there at Clemson with Antonio Williams, Tyler Brown, some similarities, I guess, between how they can be deployed. So that should be fun to see how it shakes out. Hopefully one of them, well, both of them can coexist, right? Both can succeed. Yeah. I, I think they might even push. If I had to bet on which one gets pushed out wide, I would have to probably say Antonio Williams. And I would like to see the versatile usage with Antonio Williams. Seem to be able to do both. I would like that a lot. Um, so just big wins all around. I will say this though. Clemson's offense looks like, like last year, right? We accused DJU of not being able to like, uh, execute complex plays. You know, like it was all like short area stuff, one read stuff. Um, I almost feel like they're going to that with K club. Nick, not only watch like partial and like condensed games, uh, because I was also out of town this weekend, but I, I, I think that's what the offense looked like to me. So when you watch Tyler Brown, it looks like he's just kind of given some free release, you know, some some freebies. So he's schemed open, but there's there's some versatility in there that makes you still be impressed by what he's done. 
Uh, going over to some of the notes that you wrote on the page, you want to talk about Jeremiah Love? Yeah, I, I just think that he's a maybe a sneaky buy low if he's if he's of interest to you. If you like Notre Dame backs and like the production that they bring year after year after year, you like a guy who can develop into over two hundred pounds and have some pretty special movement skills and receiving versatility. Well, you're gonna like what he provides once Audric estimates out of there. So again, this is a preemptive like, ooh, this guy is consistently involved. Let's maybe buy him before he actually gets the job. Because ultimately, yeah, we know he's not getting the job this year because Estime has just been taking that over and he can handle that workload. But who's next? And Jeremiah Love seems to be the consistent guy every game, it, whether it's it's garbage time or whether it's just mixing him in. He's been steadily efficient and he's been matching what Estime has been doing, albeit you know, he's better rested. He, he maybe is seeing some maybe lighter defensive fronts. I, I don't know exactly um, how that's looked, but, he's been sprinkled in consistently and the other young guys at Notre Dame have just not looked as good. And Jeremiah love is seemingly that next guy up as a true freshman that that's exciting at Notre Dame. So that's why I thought he's at least worth a mention here and should be moving up the freshman ranks for sure. For people, even though he hasn't had that big time breakout, right. He hasn't had that huge monster game or anything. No, I think, the landscape right now in college is a little bit hard to tell who's like next up transfer portals open everyone gets freebies if you're not like already talented it's kind of hard to tell who's like gonna come in and take over um but i i, I like this call too i really do i was a fan of my love coming out um he's been efficient 7.1 yards per carry on his 31 attempts through five weeks so but he's getting a little bit of touches each week He's up to almost 200 pounds and uh i do think notre dame likes the old school running backs like the old school power backs uh, so I feel confident in them making him put that weight on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like they're gonna, they're gonna make sure he he can he can t- be a tank if they want him to be a tank. Uh, so I like that a lot. Um, Dylan Sampson. I have no comment on Dylan Sampson. I don't even want to pretend to try to like him. So you can go ahead and talk about Dylan Sampson. Uh, shout out Coach A here. We're doing you're doing it for him probably. It's probably part of your wedding gift to him. Your wedding favor. Oh, yes. I mean, and and it was great. So I, I also podcast uh, Devi devotional podcast out there with, with John at Dynasty Coach A on Twitter. And John was actually at the wedding this weekend. I don't know that we actually talked really much about um, not a lot about football, but Dylan Sampson is certainly a guy that well, he and I share some interest in. And definitely he's been a very productive running back for Tennessee thus far. Everybody was was not necessarily anticipating him having a big role this year and when i say a big role i mean we can use that liberally as far as he's been getting in there especially in garbage time or when there's been some guys nicked up or you know splitting time dylan sampson has been that guy it hasn't been other depth back so you know we're gonna have to wait till this year's over to really see dylan sampson unleash and i get that you know there could be some guys who come in there and also vie for touches at tennessee i i want to first of all acknowledge that but then say how can they put the genie back in the bottle how can they put him on the bench after what he's done every game i mean the guy's averaging what basically 20 points per game in a ppr format um he's had one game where he didn't really play they didn't need him and they also had another game where he just you know wasn't really involved in the rest of those games he's been very productive um as far as you know efficiencies high up there and he's, he's a very capable receiving threat and he's also been shown to be a very effective scorer, which is funny because you wouldn't think so. I'm, I'm sure that's 
the biggest reason why you're not into Dylan Sampson is like, it doesn't look like he's going to be, you know, a special bell cow back because he just doesn't have the size yet. Um, and I, I want to say that size is definitely important. It's, it's one of the biggest factors that I look for, but when a guy has enough athleticism, he has enough skill and production to his game, especially like at a high end sec level, for example, it catches my eye and a guy at 190 pounds. I think that we would all be um, silly to think that that's where he maxes out, even if he does seem like he has that slim frame currently. So ultimately if Dylan Sampson can get like 200 or above, he can be a better version of like a James cook or somebody like that at the NFL level that does have my attention. Even if I don't think, you know, I'm not saying he's like a top four back in the class or anything, but it gets my attention. I'm just a little like he's been 190 pounds now for two years, right? He came in at 190, hasn't put on weight. Not saying that he can't. I'm just a little nervous about that. And I care more about running style and, and frame to it. They need to be able to put on the weight for me. Cause like, um, I want to know he's going to be efficient running down the middle of the NFL level. And like, you need weight for that. Like guys aren't ramming Devin Achain down the middle. Like that's just not what they want him to do. They want him to get him in space. Let him use his explosive in space. And I just don't really know what Dylan Sampson does that his calling card is. I know he's efficient now. Um, and I am a little bit scared at the rotation there. I don't, I do agree with your co-host though. I'm not in on Jamari Spalls, never was. Uh, but like Jalen Wright's still there too. So I don't know if it's going to be a rotational backfield. Uh, I just don't know if Dylan Sampson's special. And we talked about like middling talent too, but we're going to get more answers though. Cause again, this is only week four, week four. Uh, so we're going to see like SEC defenses coming up here. Uh, you know, I didn't comment on the Ray Davis though, but um, Kentucky's ranked 20. So go, go cats. But five of the teams they're playing are also ranked in the top 25, you know, so we're really going to see what type of player Ray Davis is. And uh, I think the same for Dylan Sampson too coming up. Um, but I, I do think like, as far as like talent goes in this backfield, like I'm not like, I don't think any of these guys are too talented. So sure. Dylan Sampson can take it over and he can show some development. I'm all about that. Um, yeah. So I'm all about that. Uh, heading over to, to, to Luther burden. Uh, the statement you wrote on the sheet was just disrespectful. So I'm just going to say this. He's looking like the wide receiver we thought he was the whole time. The whole time we thought this is the type of guy he was. Not enough credit is talked about to like offensive coordinators. Uh, the Fresno State OC comes over. Brady Cook's now being talked about. Like, who talks about Brady Cook? Brady Cook's getting talked about out there. And, and Luther Burton has looked good because they know how to use him now. He just was misused last year. He looks great. Hey, I, I'm agreeing with you. He's looking a lot, a lot better. And, you know, a guy that we'll also talk about in our on our podcast, we have talked about at length and, and just really debated. Um, at the end of the day, Luther Burden is taking the steps that we needed him to. That has always been the discussion around there. It's like, well, he didn't do what he needed to do as far as actually being a well-rounded wide receiver as a freshman. Well, that doesn't mean that he can't get there. And the raw athleticism all of that was very evident with him and the fact that they wanted to get the ball into his hands last year, they just didn't know how to do so. That was all evident. So at the end of the day, it's no surprise to me that he's been playing well. I mean, what greater than four reception yards per team pass attempt like that, that is insane. As far as um, some guys who have done that, it's like the, what the 13th best season ever. I think Austin Debbie Dietz uh, tweeted that out today. Yeah, like, 
Yeah, like between like Des Bryant's crazy season and Devonta Smith's Heisman campaign season, like that's right where he is. And, you know, you can use some other metrics to really show that he's been consistently involved in that offense. You say what you want about competition levels. We'll see how how he keeps it up. I, I don't know that he's going to keep up the exact same pace that he's at, but it's it's looking pretty good as far as them wanting to keep him involved in that offense um, all over the field. He's breaking big plays like we all expected him to do. So, um, so he's, he needs to develop further as a route runner. Yeah. That's going to be an ongoing thing for him, but he's actually showing some well-roundedness to this point. Yeah. I, uh, I think Kansas state's a good defense. They sent a handful of guys in NFL last year. So I, I do think that's a solid defense, but yeah, it's, it's been South Dakota, middle Tennessee, Memphis and Vandy. And then K-State there in the middle. Um, he's looking great. We talked about it in the DMs too. I, I said he looked a little bit closer to Curtis Samuel. Do you like agree? Like would that I don't know if you're a comp guy, but would that be your like current today comp of of him? Be Curtis Samuel? A healthier yeah. Curtis Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think you and I talked about this before. And I've always been like, oh, he could be more like a Debo type guy because I think he's thicker. But at the end of the day, I mean Curtis Samuel isn't like He's not a shrimp out there, right? He's not the tiniest guy out there. Yeah, so yeah. Um, at the end of the day, yes, yeah, somewhere in that spectrum, I think is very fair. And yeah, ultimately, maybe Burden can become a more nuanced, well-rounded wide receiver than those guys. It's only his second season and he's already, you know, doing some pretty crazy things on the field. So maybe as an athlete, he might even be better than Debo because I, I don't think Debo is blowing anybody away from with his long speed versus Burden is showing that. I mean, he had great long speed coming into college. It's just been a matter of getting him in the right positions to actually utilize that as an offense. And I, I will, um, you know, give myself a little pat on the back. Brady Cook was a guy I drafted in, in a deep C to C league, three, start start three quarterback league. And I, I don't know that that was another one where it's like, yeah. I mean, some of the underlying metrics were promising enough. Nobody believed, but hey, it's worked out so far. Have you seen his haircut on ESPN? Did you see that? No. You saw it in our Slack? Did you see it in our Slack? No, no, I actually missed that. Okay, we need to look at it. I would never draft him if I saw that haircut before the draft. It looks like a pineapple <laughs> out there. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm not going to look at it. It might spoil my opinion of him now. So. <laughs> um, let's talk about Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, this is a guy that I was actually very low on coming in. Uh, he has a very extensive injury history, hasn't shown any flashes to me. Over, I don't know, uh, four years. I, can't I don't remember how old he is. But over since he's hit the NCAA, I have not thought he's ever lived up to his hype. Obviously, injuries have hampered him. But now that he's two years removed, he's over here at USC, who does have Lincoln Riley calling plays, so you love that. Um, but he's putting up great numbers. Uh, and Aaron, you're a fan. You're a fan. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm a solid fan for sure because I think that – if you're looking at guys who can have that three down skill set, I really do think that he's potentially that guy. And you're right. Injuries have really caused us to sour him or at least sour on him somewhat. Um, at the end of the day, he's starting to get more and more work in that offense, and he's looking really good with it. We know, I mean, what, 8.3 yards per carry this far this season. Uh, he had a crazy play this last week and hitting pretty good speed considering he had to, like, run all the way around one one side of the offense and back around the other just to score this long touchdown. And um, he's even been involved the last two years as a receiver. So 210 pounds, 5'9". I mean, he's just got a good build to him. And if the medicals check out, which is maybe one of the bigger question marks with him, how's that going to look? I think it looks okay because he's, he's looking like the best version of himself since potentially high school. 
So I, I think that Marshawn Lloyd and honestly, the USC running backs that sometimes get churned out, USC has a fairly good history uh, putting out some, some talent at that position. And I think they're going to be showcased. I mean, USC gets a lot of attention and that's going to put way, way more attention on Lloyd compared to where he was at before at South Carolina. Uh, sorry, South Carolina fans, but uh, USC is definitely in the eyes of the public and the national media and the scouts. This is definitely his best year since high school. I mean, absolutely. There is just no flash to me at all before. Um, I, I can never be a Marshawn Lloyd fan. I'm just that much of a hater. But I'm going to ask you to rank the three running backs we talked about here in the reaction. Like Ray Davis, Lev, Mo- Lev Moss, and Marshawn Lloyd. I'm, I'm going to exclude Love and Samson because they're not really the number one yet. Yet, Out of those three, which one would you want the most? Ray Davis, Lev Moss, or Marshawn Lloyd? Yeah, and for me, it's it's easily Marshawn Lloyd. Who do I right. think ends up getting the the day two draft capital? Who gets that that shot to really be a feature back on a team first? I think it's Marshawn Lloyd. And like I said, some of those factors that might cause him to be drafted more highly, and the fact that he's been so efficient showing that health again has been huge. And that that's not even you know trying to sh- throw shade at Ray Davis. Like what he's been doing thus far has been impressive. So I, I have to show some respect his way but at the end of the day like you said we do we love guys who who don't really have um you know anything too too special with their game no but i I guess you could throw lloyd in that category too so at the end of the day i think i'm going to give lloyd that edge but ray davis probably two and then levy on moss i think it's just a little bit too early to really say much with moss at this point i'm like eh, the the chances of him actually you know, being a good NFL player, it's, it's really quite iffy. But I could see Lloyd, I could see even Ray Davis, you know, having more of a role. Okay, so we we haven't said this a lot lately, but I'm trying. I'm going to say it now that we we're in the we're in the thick of the games. Now we like to at Campus Can Devis Devi team predict success, not draft capital. So you're saying that you think out of these three guys that we, I'm going to call them middling talents, but you think you think Lloyd has the highest odds to escape that that uh that label. Yes, ab- absolutely, I do. As far as outcomes, you know, past just the draft capital, I do. Mm-hmm. We're gonna head over to NC State. Uh, Robert and I, one of the, I think one of the most fantastic OCs out there, has had a really slow start for NC State's offense here. We see Sean Lewis being successful in Colorado. We've seen, um, oh, man, I know it's Cur- I know his name's Kirby, but uh, the OC that went from Fresno to uh, Missouri here for Luther Burden. He's a fantastic offensive coordinator that's reshaped that offense. But Robert and I has had a slow start here. And we finally get to see Brendan Armstrong uh, get benched. He had a fantastic year at UVA like two years ago. Um, and he just, I don't know, he just, yeah, he looks bad. So I'm just going to say he looks bad. And finally, they're going to bench him for true second-year player MJ Morris, who did have some spot starts last year. I think I wrote his Debbie guy profile. Um the playbook at NC State last year, once MJ Morris took over, was definitely simplified, um, which is fine. Again, true freshman. I'm not going to be harsh on that. Uh, he he ran the game plan, I thought, extremely well. Um, nothing amazing, but I thought the balls had some nice tight spirals on them. Uh, not a lot of velocity, but it's a second-year player, man. So now I'm really excited to get a really good look at him. Robert and I is, I think, a fantastic OC here. Um, I'm very excited for MJ Morris. I'm very excited to uh, to – to know more like I, I can you know there's always a radar guy there's like a list of mysteries you know and we always talk about how we rather mystery boxes over certain guys that we're pretty confident aren't gonna be successful next level this is a mystery box and finally we get to open the box and see what we got here coming up 
And and the cool part is that he's not a complete mystery box either because you could yeah. see last year, I mean, seven touchdowns to one interception and he flashed pretty well for NC State. So, yeah, pretty promising start as far as a guy who hasn't shown, you know, extent or had extensive experience yet. But the fact that they're going to him, you know, over a guy who has experience hasn't looked good this year, but like he has all that experience shows that, okay, MJ Morris is a guy who can actually do something. The fact that they... You know, they kind of gave that veteran deference. They they tried to make Armstrong work, but you know, Moore should have been starting all along, at least in my opinion. Um, I I've liked his talent. I, I truthfully can't tell you like, is he going to be like an NFL guy? You know, that that's a little bit more up in the air. But like you said, it's that mystery box versus you know some of these other guys who you've seen them play for four or five years and they're just so average. It's like uh, give me the MJ Morris that opportunity that he actually ascends and keeps improving. Yeah, I can't wait. And and Corey talks about us too. Like, just if freshmen even get a little bit of playing time, you feel confident that you'll see them again in the future. So it's not, you know, like you said, it's not a complete mystery. So I'm pretty pumped about this. All right, let's get into our, our G5 guys here. This is what this is really what the episode's supposed to be about. We kind of went in depth on some reaction here, but G5 guys that we're looking at that we think actually have Devi potential here. And I'm going to start off with Ashton Genty, running back for Boise State. I was a little made fun of in the company Slack. Now I'm looking at I'm looking at all the CSC guys out there for saying in a year will we be saying that Ashton Gentry is the next you know Jameer Gibbs because he has that he has that pass catching skill set and I don't I didn't think he was phenomenal as a runner last year uh, but I'm paying more closer attention now this year I want to see him transfer up I, I think Boise Boise used to be a force to reckon with over ten years ago you know but uh, <laughs> so as far as G five teams I I prefer them coming from Boise. Uh, over over a lot of other guys but i i'm super excited for ashton has just been phenomenal this year i know he's like the cff like rb1 this year so far um but i think worst case scenario you have a pass hitching back at the next level and our biggest concern has always been like his level of athleticism i want to say he's like miles per hour coming out of high school like 20.5 so uh he was never like considered an uber athlete but i I'm I'm just pumped. I'm pumped. I mean, he's been great. I mean, 5.1 yards per carry again this year, just just like last year. But um, I'm excited for Ashton Genty. Yeah, very versatile player, and it's exciting to see what he's done. And and to be honest, I, I think we got to give Boise State some credit. Now they don't recruit these uber athletes by any means, but they can play or they can find these running backs who can just play well. Like at the end of the day, like they had Jay Ajayi, who is their what his last year was like 2014 and Doug Martin just before yeah. him. And then, you know, after them, Alexander Madison. And again, th- those are a little bit different style guys than Gianti as well. Cause Gianti's so versatile as a receiver. That's a really cool aspect of his game. So would it be awesome to see that, that transfer up? Yes. 100%. But we've seen those other guys get some opportunity at the NFL level. And I think Gianti, he can hang there at the NFL level. Maybe it is more of that receiving back role, like with the floor of, um, I'm trying to think of like a DJ Dallas or somebody like that, but with the ceiling of somebody much better, right? I mean, you, yeah. you know, if we're saying range of outcomes as a guy who well, he can at least hang around and be, you know, uh, playing a role for an NFL team, but the upside is much more. He gets into the right situation and continues to improve. So he's always been a guy where you, you maybe question the top end athleticism. Again, that is important for when you go to the NFL level and you have to play against the best athletes, but 
ultimately he's been showing out this year. Guys get better at, at the college level. It, it's always important to remember that their high school times do not define where they end up. There's countless examples of that. So Gianti is probably out of all these running backs that we're going to hopefully not even mention too many from the G5 level. He's definitely the most exciting. Give me a name on your list. You know, I'll, speaking of exciting, I'll, I'll go with the one that's the most interesting to this point from the G5 guys, and, and that's Torrey Horton. So Colorado State wide receiver, who's just been dominating this year, but you look back to last year, and he actually had some elite marks with both seasons as far as, you know, yards and reception market shares or yards per team pass attempt. And you compare him to a guy like Malachi Corley, who I, I'll let you talk about him, but Torrey Horton blows him out of the park as far as some of those um, some of those statistics. So that's really interesting to see for Torrey Horton, who I do think has enough natural abilities to be an NFL player. So could he? I'm not even going to throw a comp because I, I truthfully don't really have one great comp for him right now. But do I think that he could actually be a quite good um, emerging guy from that G5 level? One of those hidden gems where we don't see that many guys, you know, dominate at the NFL level after being a G5 guy. Yes, I think Torrey Horton is the one uh, wide receiver right now at the G5 level that I'm really, really excited about. Uh, he spoiled it, but I'm more excited about Malachi Corley. I, I, just to speak back to Torrey Horton, though, I I don't know. I, the guys are saying that he wastes too much movement, and I don't really see the route runner in him. I know that he's really efficient, and I want to go back and look and see how he does against zone. Like, is that what he's capitalizing off of, is knowing how to beat zone? Uh, in that case, and he would be like a Rasheed Rice to me, who's, again, also a starting NFL wide receiver right now. He might not be a stud, but he's out there. Um, but uh, with with Corley, though, his play style is a little bit different. It's more of a gadgety yak skill set. They want to get in the ball in space. And then, like, as a runner with the ball, um, he runs like a running back. Like, I think receivers try to make guys miss in the open field. You know, they're trying to use speed to win. I feel like once Corley catches the ball, he turns into a running back. And he's just, I mean, his level of physicality for the G5 is it's just too high. Uh, they can't keep up with him for that level. So I, I have Corley here. I think Corley is a WKU wide receiver for everyone that's not familiar with him. But I think Corley, I think we already used Curtis Samuel as a comp. I think he's more of like a poor man's Curtis Samuel. And uh, not sure what his success is at the next level. Um, but if, if you're looking for a G5 receiver this year to get that second round draft capital, I think we had, we had at least one last year. I want to say there's more than that. It's not coming to my mind. Um, but I, I would say Corley and Horton are probably, to me, the only two that can possibly get a day two draft capital in the G5 this year. You agree with that? You agree with that, Aaron? Yeah, I, I would say I agree with that. And, and at the end of the day, I'm not trying to call Corley bad by any means, but yeah, w- yeah. when you compare the two of them as far as what they're doing and, and some of the most predictive metrics, those give Tory Horton the edge. So at the end of the day, maybe some of that comes down to how an NFL team can utilize them. Like you said, Corley, maybe just giving him the ball and seeing what he can do. But I just maybe this is going off of last year's film. Like, was it quite as excited about Corley as a mover when you, let's say if he was promoted up to a power five level or against NFL competition, I, I do think that in that system, he's such a great asset that, you know, when you put him outside of that system, I have a few more question marks, but at the end of the day, I don't disagree that those two guys are, are the main guys. When you're looking at G five wide receivers that can make an impact at the next level. Go on, go on to your next one for me. 
I mean, there's a couple other guys here that I have some mild interest in. So, okay. I mean, let's talk about Gage Larvardane just a little bit, just brief, you know, touch on him just because he's been so interesting this year. And as far as like a 41% reception yards market share and a 4.1 reception yards uh, per team pass attempt, it, it's just crazy um, as far as a couple of those marks. But then you look at the size and you look at, you know, he, he's a guy from, quite lower level football coming up and it's not, he's not even coming up to a power five level. So at the end of the day, is he going to be a true NFL guy or is he just a CFF guy? That's another question, but you know, he catches the eye a little bit and you just, you just never really know um, how electric these guys are based on what a partial season. Like you were saying earlier, we have enough data where we can say, Oh wow, this guy's really interesting. He's, He's pretty good. Can this guy even do better than that or keep up this this pretty um, on fire pace that he's been at? Um, and then I guess another guy I just want to shout out is maybe Harrison Whaley from Wyoming, like another guy where it's like Wyoming. What? Why are we interested there? But just because he has been so productive and explosive thus far, he's actually up to 200 pounds, which is interesting because I've always viewed him as a smaller dude. I think that the size thing, if he is indeed at that weight or slightly above. Hey, that's very intriguing. Um, th- there's lots of other guys who've been blowing up, like Nate Noel, Appalachian State, or Marcus Cooper, now at Ball State. Like, but they're all just so small. So the thing that you know Harrison Whaley does is that he's actually a little bit bigger. And you know, Ontario Brown, NIU running back, he's just maybe not quite as explosive. That offense is disappointing, but you know, I was expecting more out of Ontario Brown. So he's another, you know, G five guy I was considering to shout out here, but I'd have to say Whaley out of the group is probably the most interesting. Ontario Brown is always interesting to me because I'm trying to confirm this, but I remember him being a higher level recruit that actively chose to go to G five RB 64. So I guess that's a lie. So never mind. <laughs> For some reason, I thought he was like RB 20 in the class. I was like, I'm just gonna go G five. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, he had some good offers. I think was the deal there. Like South Carolina or, you know, somebody like that. Oh so yeah. Decommitted yeah. South Carolina. I see that here. Amazing. Anyway, so that's kind of wild. He just wanted to get some playing time in NC state, West Virginia, Virginia tech. Interesting. So that's pretty wild to me, but, uh, I, I don't have any issue with those guys. I, I do like Nate Noel. I thought he should have had the role last year. I thought he was much better running back than um, Cameron Peoples. Uh, and then Marcus Cooper is a little guy, too. I don't really pay much close attention to. Harrison Whaley is the same. I really don't have any real opinions about those guys. Gage Lavernay was super interesting. I uh, loved seeing those targets against Miami, Florida, which, once again, I was saying I thought was like the top top 10 secondary. I, they have, they're banged up right now, but at the time. I thought they were a top 10 secondary. So I'm getting those targets very interesting, smaller guy. He's hurt right now, though. So if you guys are going to like go look him up and see he has like one catch for eight yards, uh, he's banged up. He literally played only one snap against Delaware State, which is a very low-level school. So they didn't really need him for that game. So they just were smart about it, let him rest. Um, but certainly got to watch the rest of the year. I want to talk about a quarterback. I want to talk about Michael Pratt. Uh, he was snubbed off the Debbie quarterback section of our guide, I think, all of us immediately regret it probably two weeks after we published it because we just thought about it more. Um, I like Michael Pratt, and I know Chris Moxie is the main conductor of this train of the Debbie debate, but I, I actually think he has some NFL upside. I think he is – the comp is like Will Levis, but I, I think, you know, along with Chris Moxley, I, I agree with everything he says about him. I think he's better than, than Will Levis. I think he can move, and you like to see that mobility. He's not just a pure pocket passer. But I also think that his 
actual arm strength is a little bit underrated. He throws some good velocity. Uh, I think I think he's a gamer too. He's, he knows how to make he knows how to make plays. He's not just a system quarterback, and that's pretty evident from Tulane. And like G five guys, like we talk about their transition to the NFL. Like once in a while, you get a receiver that's really good. Uh, like Deontay Johnson's like kind of the last one in my head I can think of. Sky Moore is supposed to be. He really wasn't. So he well he isn't so far. Rasheed Rice is probably the best one of, of last year's class. So uh, and the G five running backs like the last one was probably Kareem Hunt. Honestly, it, it's not like there's a lot of of talent coming out of the G5 but quarterbacks though quarterbacks do transition uh from the G5 not like too often but you know Carson Wentz was one uh Trey Lance who I know everyone thinks is terrible now and I definitely wasn't a fan of him coming out or at least I thought he was overrated but he's been going through injuries for his lower body that's a quarterback that relied on his legs the way we talked about Connor Wegman so anyway Going back to Michael Pratt, though, I think he's underrated, and I'm not afraid that he is G5 for it because he still has to learn how to process a defense and and make plays and all the other stuff like that. Yeah, that's fair, and I don't have a lot to add on him other than he's interesting. He really does need to continue stepping up this season because that's I, I yeah, think really the, the only way. This year is not great. Yeah, he really he needs the year for sure. You want to talk about your quarterback on your list, or are you avoiding him? I don't know. I'm not trying to call you out on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, fine. I'll talk about Caden Salter. Just because right. I, I threw him on there, I was like, I should have a quarterback too. And he's he's been interesting, you know, as far as recruit, definitely interesting kid. And Caden Salter for Liberty, um, you know, not the biggest guy in the world, but 6'1", 200. Like, at this point, you know, I can put on more on that frame. And I don't think he's the most nuanced passer Nobody's going to mistake him as that, but he has a great QB rating on the year. He has 11 to one touchdown to interception ratio. And very importantly, he's a threat on the ground. Like he's a, he's a legit rushing threat. And as far as a C to C asset, yeah, very interesting NFL future. You know, that that's where I, I waffle a little bit more and I'm not going to give you like a super, I'm not going to try to deceive anybody and say, Oh yeah, I, I think he has a, a really good shot at being an NFL guy. I think he's a long shot, but Salter is at least interesting and guy for watch lists in, in C2C leagues, potentially a guy to say, eh, there's a sliver of hope for NFL future if you could get him. Um, somebody treating him as like a just a single year CFF option. Like sometimes you can get those guys for surprisingly cheap. So he could give you multiple years at the at the college level now. But yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to throw him on there just as the G5. It's like there's always so many notable quarterbacks with upside um, from that level of football right now. Yeah, I he enrolled in Tennessee, and he got pushed towards the transfer portal for, I think, for some knucklehead type stuff. Do you remember? I, I know they talked about the debate debate a few times. What, do you remember what it was? For oh, legend? no, not specifically. No. Okay. All right, but he got pushed. I, I'm like usually for Debbie reasons. I don't want to do with guys that transfer down. And now there's a difference between transferring down and transferring like laterally. Like uh, I think, uh, I was about to say Joe Burrow's transfer. I'm going to use um, the receiver from Alabama. His name's escaping me because I haven't played a single game in the NFL yet. It really pisses me off. Always played some games because I haven't played a full one. Um, but anyway, if you transfer from like a wide receiver from Ohio State that's like super busy and you go to Alabama, like that's not a transfer down to me. That's like a lateral transfer, and that's fine. Power five to power five is fine. If you go from like SEC to Pac twelve, I think that's a little bit of a of a downward uh, transfer. But uh, I don't really like when power five guys go down to G five. I usually immediately write them off at that point. Uh, but Salter is fun, especially for CFF purposes. Probably a league winner. I got him in the league off the waivers. I'm pretty pumped about it. Pretty pumped. Um, 
I have two more guys left. Uh, I think you have one more. So I'm going to talk about my next one here. It's a running back. It's Blake Watson from Memphis. He's caught my eye. <clears throat> and um, I hate myself for it because I always fall for uh, Memphis running backs. They just have such a good history. Now, I know uh, Coach Norvell is no longer there. But, you know, uh, Darnell, Darnell Henderson. Sorry. Darnell Henderson. Uh, Antonio Gibson is from there. Um, Kenneth Gainwell is from there. Like, I, I don't know what's up with Memphis for, like, those years Again with Novell, Norvell, um, but they get recognition. I think Blake Watson's been playing well this year, and similar to Ashton Genty, I think he's a very good pass catching running back. And you find a spot for him in the NFL in that role, a mid to late day three type of guy. Um, certainly can get some hype from from fantasy Twitter. There's guys like to hype up everybody with the pulse. Um, so, you know, Blake Watson's on my list here. So I think he's not talked about yet, but I could see him get talked about at least a little bit more leading up to the NFL draft. Yeah, he's one of those guys where you're going to see him at least sprinkled into those discussions as like, ooh, could this guy be day three guy who lands in a good spot? And like you said, he has that receiving versatility. I just think that he's he's old enough and is he big enough to really be an impact guy? So at the end of the day, definitely hard right, to find yeah. meaningful G5 guys. So at yeah, I don't mind a shout out on him. And that's kind of the same thing with like Caleb Hood. I, I was going to shout out, but you know, the more I look at Georgia Southern and, and like, are they going to put out a meaningful, you know, NFL wide receiver? Like, no, no, probably not. <laughs> Most likely no is, is the answer. So Caleb Hood was a guy that initially I was like, Oh yeah, I'll talk about him. And then the more I, I think about it, can't say with convic- conviction that, you know, what a fifth year guys, he's been doing really well this season, but, yeah. Is he going to be it? I'm not so sure. Yeah. And I I like with Blake Watson, seeing a guy succeed in two systems. Uh, he went from Old Dominion to Memphis. He's been successful at both so far. Um, it, anyway, I'm breaking my own rules here, saying that Blake predicts success here on this show, because I'm not. <laughs> we're both here saying we're not so sure he's going to be successful in the NFL. It's just going to be talked about more later. So if you have him, there's a sell window coming if you're not competing. Just letting you know, it will come. Um, going over to my last guy here. Uh, I'm I'm gonna mess this up, but uh, Amar Thomas, the UAB true freshman wide receiver, uh, has been like he's been doing great. And Trent Dilfer is the uh, coach of the Trent Dilfer was a an uh, Super Bowl uh, quarterback, uh, coached at Lipscomb Academy in Tennessee. I hope I'm not getting this wrong. I'm about to get roasted in Slack if I get his whole history wrong. Coaches at Tennessee goes like 13-0 Lipscomb Academy, gets the uh, job offer here at UAB. Um, has been doing great. I think he's been crushing expectations. I know like UAB is like, if you look at their record and their stats, you're like, this really isn't that great, but it, it's been better than expected. I'm telling you guys that. So uh, Thomas here is five foot 11, 200 pounds, but the last two weeks against Georgia, 12 targets, nine receptions for 60 yards and a touchdown. That's pretty notable for a G five guy. And then Tulane, who was usually a G five team that has their, has their stuff together. You know, I talked about boys being one of the G five guy G five teams you can really trust. I think Tulane's in that category as well, as long as with SMU's too. But anyway, um, 10, 10 targets for eight receptions, ninety nine yards against Tulane. So I, I my eyes are Amari Tom Amar Thomas. Uh, as far as the guy's going to increase his stock, he's a true freshman. Uh, he could be a, a transfer up guy, which again is another thing you got to just hope and pray and cross your fingers for him to transition well going up. Because um, we all know that doesn't work out of time. So I'm about like Kanata Mumfield. I was a fan of Elijah Spencer. He's been a ghost for Minnesota. But again, there's some dangers there. 
But the whole point is for guys on the radar, and I am staring at Amar Thomas. And if I have a waiver wire left in one of my leagues and I don't really need CFF producers, I think I would consider this guy a great stash and a possible rotational piece. Yep. I agree with everything you said there. Thomas is interesting. And 23 targets the last two weeks, I think he's going to keep up um, earning targets in that offense. And we'll see what happens after there, but kind of follow those freshman breakouts, especially when they continue to earn those. So keep an eye on him. Yeah, he was a uh, three for three on contested targets against Georgia, too. I mean, like, Georgia's come on, like, the best athletes, and they're probably way more physical than UAB. So it's pretty excited to see that he caught three of his contested cards. All three of his contested targets there. His ADOT is low. Anyway, it's a true freshman. I shouldn't be too critical. I got to watch more. I got to study him more. Uh, But if there is a G5 true freshman, right now he's my front runner to be the favorite so far for that. That wraps up our G5. Unless you have any that came to your mind. Nope, none from Aaron shaking his head. Uh, Let's talk about the game of the week. Um, Skipped over by Austin and Corey. I just want to remind you guys that they skipped over that. So let's just, you know. The episode was mid at best. Let's be real here last week. Uh, but anyway, um, our game of the week this week is going to be uh, the 12 ranked Oklahoma against three Texas. Um, a lot of Debbie guys in this game, first off. So I'm going to go over to the cute. We're going to go by positions groups first. Um, and Oklahoma, for me, by the way, is just destroyed expectations. Uh, I've released a top 25 uh, on Twitter just doing power rankings. Um, had Mississippi State fans really angry about that. But. Uh, I didn't have Oklahoma in my top 25. I didn't think they were going to be this good. And I want to talk about Dylan Gabriel, who was the first ever quarterback I touted on this show week one. And then I found out he was five foot 11. I thought he was much bigger than that. I don't know why I did, but I really did. And I'm embarrassed about it. But Dylan Gabriel is looking good. And so I got to ask Aaron, do you think he's a Debbie asset? I Joe, I don't necessarily think he's a Debbie asset. No. And he's, he's having such a good season where he could honestly convince me if he continues to play this well and better, especially against like notable teams such as Texas, a very highly ranked, what number three team right now. So what he's doing is special and he's been able to you know keep Jackson Arnold off the field. Who's probably also going to be a very, very good college quarterback and pro prospect as well. So Dylan Gabriel definitely been showing out and I just have to share a trade. I just did this week now three quarterback leagues. So you need the quarterbacks, but I just traded Dylan Gabriel for basically Alexander Madison and a campus first. So I, you know, I, I was pretty happy with that return, but that's the kind of value he's garnering out there. Like if he's giving you 30 points per game in a fantasy league, um, depending on your scoring format, like that's, that's great. That gives you a big edge. So End of the day, very good college quarterback. He's he's playing super well in the system where we thought they might drop off, like you said. Yeah, impressing this season. So is is there a chance? Yes. Do I think that he's most likely one? No. No. Nope. I'll tell you what, because I I know me and you aren't going to sit here and say he's a he's a Debbie guy. Do you think he's a better prospect than um, Stetson Bennett? Yeah, yeah, I, I easily think he's a better prospect than Stetson Bennett. I think that Dylan Gabriel can operate an NFL offense better, distribute the ball to receivers all over the field at a little bit better level. I think Stetson Bennett is a little bit more of a game manager, and I think both guys have their mobility perks to them, but I, I don't think either one of them is running all over NFL you know, defenses either. So they have their obvious limitations, but yes, I actually think he's a much better player than Stetson Bennett at the end of the day. All right. Let's do it. All right, let's go on to Jackson Arnold. You mentioned Jackson Arnold here. 
Jackson Arnold week one came in uh, against Arkansas State, 11 for 11 for 114 yards and one touchdown. Now you might be saying, wow, a true freshman completing 100% of his targets week one. Let me tell you what the eight out was. It was 3.3. The whole thing was just screens and really manufactured touches and short area stuff. Um, but, you know, like, again, not to be too critical of freshmen, like, good good for him. Good for him to execute a very simple scheme. Like, you like to see that. Um, as far as, like, future outlook for him, I don't I, – I've been kind of scared. I've been a little bit scared because I'm a very traditional guy when it comes to my QB evaluations. I like my guys to be, you know, 6.3 plus. I like, them to know, I like to know that they can throw the ball over the line and they can see players over the middle, you know, the way some people can't because they're too short. Um, but I – of like the taste we've seen from Jackson Arnold, I'm not moving him. He was my QB five going into the year. Um, maybe I reshuffle him. I'm probably not going to put him in front of. I'm not going to put him in front of Dante Moore or Nelson, but I might end up putting him at QB three going into next year. Um, what do you think about future aspirations for Jackson Arnold? Yeah, I, I'm honestly pretty high with him just because you see what Dylan Gabriel's been doing. And maybe if, I mean, this guy looked just phenomenal when he went in. Yeah. Like you said, it wasn't the highest level of difficulty, um, not a big sample size by any means. And competition levels, meh, right? But at the end of the day, what he was doing was at least notable out there. And I liked him. He was a guy who just kept rising throughout the process for everybody, but including myself. And you said, you know, six one two fourteen. I don't have any difficulties with that. As far as if the guy can play, he can play. Nowadays, the NFL is, is starting to become a little bit less yeah, um, obsessed with that, for sure. I mean, and there's still guys like Sam Howell who fell. And, you know, he's, he's kind of that same size, maybe a little bit thicker. But Sam Howell, uh, being thicker, that is. <laughs> but he's get, getting his shot you now in Washington. And maybe he's going to do something with that. We'll see. But at the end of the day. Jackson Arnold, he can make it work with the skill set that he has. Hopefully some receiver talent keeps coming into Oklahoma there. And yeah, I think he has a, a bright future ahead of him. I said too, as a true freshman, I think actually most people here did, that he's kind of what they probably hoped Gabriel could be. Like he has the tools that Gabriel doesn't. Like Gabriel, I think is like, I don't want to say he's maxed out, but like he definitely does everything he possibly can very well. But I think Arnold has a much higher ceiling. And so uh, I thought... I thought you kind of nailed it there saying that you can look at Gabriel and like feel really good about what Arnold's going to do in the future here. It's going to be debated the next, I don't know, three, four years if Arnold's going to be an NFL, like NFL QB, but I feel, I feel like everyone's super confident. He's going to be great in college. You know, it's going to be great. Let's go on to the, uh, the Texas side, Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers has been building up a really nice resume these last couple games. Um, we really criticized his deep ball. Uh, recently, just how inaccurate he is, or he just can't get on the same level as other people. Uh, but I thought he's been doing really great, especially against Baylor, against Kansas the last two weeks, almost 300 yards passing in both. Not that this is kind of a bad Baylor team this year, it really is. But um, I like seeing him throw the ball deep. I think he's really building this resume. We've, I don't know if I feel good saying he's like first round draft capital, but I, I'm feeling more and more uh, confident he's the QB3 in this class if he so chooses to be. Yeah, and even if he's not the QB3, like QB4 in a class that potentially could have multiple guys going on day two. So still very notable investments by teams and still guys who can easily get opportunity at the NFL level. can You know, you know there is a QB shortage for sure in the NFL right now. Yeah. And yeah, they, they need more quality guys coming in. So like even if he's drafted by a team to let's say, you know, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. So and, and unfortunately or fortunately, depending on what side, 
<laughs> here on um, we won this weekend. And so ultimately we're not going to get Caleb Williams too good of a team for that, but could you get a guy like a Quinn Ewers uh, early day two? I don't know if he's going to fall that far, but it's very intriguing to get a guy like that, you know, sit behind maybe a Kirk cousins or, you, you know, you name some other quarterbacks in the league, sit behind them for a year, see, see what happens there. And he has that upside for sure. So he needs, needs to be a little bit better and more consistent with that deep ball. But as far as some of the, I saw even Travis May tweeting out today, like his EPA and total adjusted net yards per attempt. Like those are some predictive metrics that he likes to shout out. And and honestly, Quinn Ewers is right up there. He's right next to like Keel Williams and JJ McCarthy. And those are some top guys in this class. And, and he's above Drake May, who's widely regarded as the QB two in this class. So it's like, wow, the, even though some of the raw counting stats aren't there, even though he still has some issues that he's working through in his second full year um, as a starter, you can't even say full year because he was banged up last year. Um, very interesting things from him. So yeah, he could easily be a top quarterback in this class. Yeah. Just remind everybody uh, senior year. He didn't play a senior year of, of uh, high school football. That was, I want to say that was, the, was it the COVID year? That was the COVID year. I think it, no. Yeah. It was COVID. It was COVID. 2021, yeah. 2021, he's over at at Ohio State. I think he handed the ball off one time, collected a million bucks. Good for him. Which I could do that. I can hand the ball off for a million bucks. I'd be the best at it too for that one play. I'll tell you that. But goes over to Texas, gets hurt against Alabama. Kind of like comes out for that breakout. And obviously, we're here at this year now, and you know the rest of the story. Yards per attempt is up by two yards. Aaron just went over the advanced metrics. I really like what Quinn Ewers is doing. Um, really seems to start clicking here. I just want to ask this question. Do you think, like, let's say it's let's say it's draft time. Let's say it's draft time, and uh, the word is Quinn is not a day one quarterback, but he's more like a, a, a day two. Do you think he goes back? And if you do say you think he goes back, what do you think happens to Arch Manning? I think that Quinn Ewers will likely return if he doesn't get that nod for day one draft capital. And I think that makes the situation for Arch Manning, a little interesting for sure. Like, does he stay another year? And I mean, if he doesn't feel confident, he can beat out yours. Well, does he transfer to an Alabama? We know it's a little bit easier these days to transfer. I, I can't say what it's going to look like next year for transfer options. Uh, but at the end of the day, Quinn Ewers going there again. I would think if yours is specifically returning to Texas, it's not going to be returning to Texas. Um, in hopes of, you know, fighting this QB battle. Like he's probably told he's got the job locked, locked in. So ultimately, yeah, a little concerning for Arch Manning if he does return. So do I think that's actually going to happen? No, I, I do think that Quinn Ewers is probably going to declare. And even if he's told like, yeah, you're borderline like round one, he might just still try to risk it. And, you know, who knows what ultimately happens on draft day. But uh, yes, I think, I do think he moves on because he knows that there's this Arch Manning guy and even Malik Murphy, if you're that kind of, you know, a fan of that guy. Right? <laughs> One of those but, weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> and Malik's fun. It's like, is, is he going to actually be able to edge out like an Arch Manning though? I'm not so sure. So anyways, there's guys waiting behind yours. That's going to be pressure to kind of push him out the door. So ultimately, yes, that creates a very, very interesting scenario, but I'm not so sure that unfolds. I don't think like I, I legit I'm being honest here. I'm not just trying to be controversial. I actually don't think like I think that's a very serious possibility. And I think Quinn's gonna think like I can get to day one in next year's class, which we've already been people are already talking about next year's classes at quarterback kind of week. It's just Drew Lauer at the top who's not flashing, and then Wegman's hurt now, so who knows with him? And then obviously 
we're waiting on Devin Brown and, and the rest of the group behind them. It's just, well, they're just behind. So uh, I don't think it's a non-zero chance. And they're going up to the SEC next year. So if I was Texas, which I'm not, but if I was, I don't want Arch Manning's first year to be against SEC competition. He comes from like the lowest levels of private school football. And then everyone thought he was like a god. And then they see him in the spring game and they're all like, oh, he's poop. Like he's just, he's just poop out there. It's like, well, he was playing like super low level, like, private school competition now he goes to play at texas it's kind of a really big jump like this guy's gonna need time to readjust and now even i think going up to the sec isn't even i think at least that's a smaller step up i i really do so um i don't i don't think it's impossible that quinn stays and then you got to answer the question of what does arch do um maybe maybe alabama comes knocking on doors because i think they should knock on doors a little bit harder than they did this last year i really do i believe that at least uh, so we went to the running back room, a little bit bigger here. Jonathan Brooks just blew up on the scene with like 218 yards. I was always touting him here as as far like in the company. I was I was rooting for him on the Devi guide. I thought that Brooks was underrated as a running back. I think he's a fine running back. I always thought he was more of a collegiate running back, but I thought he could have been like upper end. So I'm really happy to see him do that. Uh, but now he's doing that so well that we have to ask the question, do we think he's a Debbie asset? Do we, do we think we're the middle of the road, like middle of day three guy? Or like, do we actually think that like day two is within his grasp? Yeah, he's really borderline there. And, you know, you, you challenged me earlier in the show to say, well, you know, beyond just, you know, the day two, day three, um, do I actually think that it, then he makes an impact at the NFL level? Because there's yeah. plenty of guys who, you know, they could have, you know, went on day two or day three if some team didn't overdraft them, right? So at, at the end of the day, Jonathan Brooks, he's showing that he's a good player. He's been a good player since high school. He's been a good player through Bijan Robbins, Bijan and Roshan Johnson being there at Texas. Like he has always been good when he's got the ball. And now he's showing, oh, wait, he's good again. And this is against good competition. This is against bad competition. He's just been consistently outplaying even the top running back in the entire um, freshman class this year in CJ Baxter. And it's just like the the doubting of this guy um, continues. And there's been some of us, I, I like to say that I've been on him this whole time, heavily drafted him the last two years. And Jonathan Brooks is just a fun player. Is he big? No. Could he be like an Aaron Jones? I, I think so, though, because ultimately the low 200s, it, that's a range where these guys can make it work at the NFL level. Now, is he going to be a difference-making guy like Bijan Robinson? No, that that's not what we expect, right? None of us expect to be that guy who's insulated in value for four to six-plus years at the NFL level. But at the end of the day, can he make an impact? I, I do think he can. So Jonathan Brooks, I'm, I'm a fan, personally. I'm still on the fence if I believe he has an NFL future. And I was like driving his trains being like a, a top like collegiate producer. But even looking at like his rushing direction on PFF, which is really nice to see because sometimes you think guys just went around the edge with speed, which is definitely like I think the variation in athletes at the college level is much more different than variation in athletes at the NFL level. But Brooks is doing it down the middle as well, too. He's not just winning around the edge the way uh, some running backs are. So I I like him. I'm going to continue to monitor him. I don't think he's a power back. Um, I've always thought he had like a little bit more wiggle in his game than he was given credit for. Uh, and we were saying pre-show that I think maybe the credit has gone almost way too far the other direction now at this point. But I, yeah, I, I, I'm a wait and see. I really am. I'm going to wait and see. I'm kind of excited about it. it, it Oklahoma is a good defense. This is going to be a good test for him. 
Uh, not that he hasn't had bad tests. I mean, he was fine. He was okay against Alabama. It wasn't great. But, like, Kansas is a good defense, too. He torched them, torched them. So, has always been efficient. The other running back in this backfield that we're looking at, though, is C.J. Baxter, the true freshman he talked about. Um, coming back from injury, I think he's looked great. He's flashed greatness. Uh, even though the stats don't reflect it, I do think he's a – I don't want to say the better running back. He looks – at times he looks like the better running back for Jonathan Brooks. Like it's not a night and day difference when they're both on the when they're when they're on the field each game. So I'm still excited about CJ Baxter. Um all of us here at the company before you came thought that thought that Baxter was going to take over eventually. Uh it looks like if that's if that's going to be the case, it would be much much later in the season. Uh, and maybe maybe be due to injury cuz Brooks doesn't always have the cleanest bill of health. But what do you what do you think about CJ Baxter? He's he's still my RB one in his class. Yeah, yeah, still RB one for me too. And we just see that the system is just seamlessly transitioning these running backs in and out. And Baxter's next. So, like you said, whether it's the end of this year with injuries or, or other reasons for just him getting more comfortable and acclimated to the system, or if it's just next year, he just fully takes over. But it's clear that Texas wants him to be the next guy. Like we tried Jaden Blue didn't really work out ultimately and not, not writing him off from having, you know, a fine college career somewhere. And maybe even at Texas is, is a compliment, but I think CJ Baxter most will agree. Yeah. He's next up, right. He's, he's going to be potentially their next feature back six, one, 218 pounds as a great recruit. So I don't have any concerns. And as far as, you know, visually we look out there and we say, Jonathan Brooks, hey, he looks a little small. And then you see this big freshman out there. You're like, wow, that guy's exciting. But we also have to take into account other than just the bias, like what are they doing on the field? And, you know, this isn't an anti-Baxter thing. It's just another reason of like, oh yeah, Brooks is pretty darn good too. So yeah, um, I, yeah, I like what Baxter has done so far. He, he hasn't been as efficient, but I mean, how many of these freshmen have been extremely efficient? Like it, it's not always that common. Not everybody can be a Quinshawn Judkins out there and be, you know, super efficient as a freshman. We got spoiled last year. That was a nice class. We got very spoiled. Um, going on to the Oklahoma side, not much to say. I want to say Corey Nelson talked about Javante Barnes and Gavin Stalchuk and how with Barnes, uh, something about practice was the reason why he wasn't getting on the field. Uh, so I don't have much to say about that. Those are the two guys I'm interested in knowing more about. We talked about mystery boxes earlier. I think there's still somewhat, at least Gavin Stalchuk to me, it's somewhat of a mystery box because he kind of blew up in that bowl game. Uh, put on some weight, just haven't seen anything about him. And then Barnes, I always had ranked between like RB15, RB20 in his class. Um, from what I've seen, I'm not moving him probably for the rest of his career in college. I'll probably keep him there. I think he's fine, not great, middling, but like we'll see more. Hopefully, event, hopefully we see more. But there's one guy that you like. Yeah, yeah. And to speak about the other guys, I mean, we're, we're sitting here and, and we're talking about practice, not a game. Not the game, but practice. Uh, these guys aren't even sticking out. So, you know, it, am I writing them off? No, but Caleb Hicks is very interesting. He's a freshman guy who's already flashed, has already scored a collegiate touchdown. And and as far as a feature back size, he's got that. So, I mean, that makes me kind of excited that he's already involved. The guys that are supposedly ahead of him, or at least should be ahead of him based on just how long they've been around the team, aren't really sticking out. And there's there's not really doing their thing yet. So. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think Caleb Hicks, very capable back, some comparable skills to Javante Barnes, but he doesn't have this foot issue. And Gavin Sadchuk, is he going to be a feature 
back is probably the biggest question. And I think that Caleb Hicks is better equipped for that. So you want to talk about the Oklahoma back to roster there in the future? I think it's Caleb Hicks. Let's get on to the wide receiver room. I want to talk about Adonai Mitchell here first. He really put it together last week for the first time. Uh, and I, I've been commenting a lot. People keep asking me my opinion about A.D. Mitchell because I kind of leave him off the top of my list. And I love the tools. I love the player. I just don't know if he ever puts it together because he's been pretty banged up at Georgia. And even here at, at Texas, the first four weeks, like he's not doing anything really too special on the field. Um or even getting the like the looks, but this past week against Kansas, he had 13 targets, 10 receptions for 141 yards, and one touchdown. It looks like he's clicking. I mean, we'll see if he can build off this, but this is a guy that definitely has tools to be. I think I, I know Austin thinks this. I'm not sure if I'm quite there, but guy he can be a, a, a day one wide receiver. He has the tools to do that. So I, I think he can be certainly special. I think he can be special. I just haven't seen him put it together on the field, and I'm like. I didn't get to watch this game. I need to go back and watch this game because I want to watch him specifically because I want to see if it's actually there. Because I always thought he was really good at body control and I don't know, really, really not to be like helmet scouting, but really reminiscent of like George Pickens' play style. Um, but uh, obviously, George Pickens never evolved into a route runner or a separator, but AD Mitchell certainly could. AD Mitchell certainly could be like the next, like, I don't know, like Michael Pittman, for example. Um, well, he's put on some weight, but. I think he can have that mobility, that movement mobility. And uh, if this game was like the start of it, then I, I'm pretty on board. Yeah, I could see that. Or, or maybe a Romeo Dobbs or Gabe Davis, like those types of guys where ultimately they're more of a wide receiver three type of producer at the NFL level. And, you know, they'll splash those weeks together, right? And, and maybe if things bounce right, they're, they're wide receiver two for production that is, but yes, I, I'm not completely sold on AD Mitchell by any means. I mean, I did like him at Georgia and I'm not going to write him off because his, his market share numbers are at least in the twenties. Um, but you know, none of the metrics are saying, Ooh, this guy's great. And like you said, he's finally starting to click a little bit more, but, and he's been good against Kansas and Alabama this season. So it's not like for Texas, AD Mitchell has been trash by any means. So you have to be a good Really, really good college player, though, to be a difference maker at the NFL level. And is he consistently, you know, separating himself yet? That's the big question. I would say no, right? I think most of us would say, yeah, he's not really showing enough to this point. Oh, certainly. He's not showing enough. I'm just, I'm, I, this is like the one time I think he's taking a step in the right direction. Have we seen enough flashes? It's like year three. Let's see you put it together now. Okay. Like, I'm tired of saying you have potential. Um, I like to see the actual growth. So that's what I'm looking for here. Uh, going over to Xavier Worthy, I don't really have much to say about him. Xavier Worthy is like deep threat. I, I think me and Corey have comped him to like Will Fuller. We think he's a great deep threat. I think he's a fairly decent route runner too. I just think his calling card is to be a deep threat. Um, no worries really about him except for his hands. I need him to keep keep those hands clean. Uh, he's done that the last two weeks. Um, so I just want to see that. I, I do have a question for you about this one for Worthy, right? I want to ask you two questions. I want to see which one do you have higher, him or neighbors? Because you talked about neighbors being your wide receiver three. And I want to ask you if you think Worthy is a first round talent. Yeah. So I, I have neighbors ahead. I do. All honestly, right. it, I think Worthy has some holes to his game, but I mean, I have them very close. You know, Worthy's still yeah. a top five guy in the class for me. I still respect his game and all that. And I, I don't think that the size is going to be something that's completely eliminating him from being fantasy relevant. No. I think he has, you know, 
big opportunity ahead of him um, rest of the season for Texas and then also at the NFL level. So we know that these smaller guys nowadays can exceed at the NFL level. So between the two guys, yeah, still give me neighbors, but you know, that's not even necessarily a knock on worthy. I've, I've stayed actually pretty consistent when people were panicking, you know, there were, there were content providers last year, just, you know, panicking and saying, you know, sell for anything guy can't catch a cold and it's understandable. <laughs> but then, but then you, you find out that he had what a broken hand and that cannot help combine that. I with, don't you know, believe when- that. I'll never believe that story. <laughs> it came out so late and it was just so convenient. Nah, I don't, anyway, you keep going. Yeah. I don't believe it. Yeah, I mean, and believe it or not, I felt like there was enough, you know, reports on, you know, an injury to the hand there as like, okay, there could be something there. And combine that with Quinn Ewers was just not good enough last year. And the backup quarterback play was, again, not great. So, yes, I think Xavier Worthy, he's going to deal with some some drop issues off and on, but he's still a good prospect. Yeah, his biggest knock has always been his hands. I was definitely... I want to say driving that train, but I was definitely in that boat of being worried about him. But I always kept him in at least tier two. I thought he was at least a day, a, a second rounder at worst. Um, I still believe that. I will say this though: we we're like way too, way too far to say this statement. But like, if he goes to a quarterback with like a noodle arm that won't use him as a deep threat, I'm gonna be a little bit scared. I just, I just think he does that really well and really extend the field if he wants to. Um, talking about true freshman Jonte Cook here for Texas. Uh, just be the year one zero mold. We think he's. The next guy at Texas, I believe Xavier Worthy leaves this year. If A.D. Mitchell continues to put it together this year, I believe he'll probably leave as well. Um, and then it's going to be Jonte Cook's show next year. But Jonte Cook has been, I mean, I think he's been fantastic. And the uh, like, the buzz has been there. He's been good with his limited touches he's gotten so far. I think we're all kind of surprised he hasn't gotten more involved. So we'll see as the year goes on. But um, I, I think Jonte Cook probably finishes, I should say finishes, but I think like the second half or the second, like the last, like third I think he could be the wide receiver three of this offense, but I'm pretty excited as Jonte Cook as a future Debbie asset. I think he's a uh, uh, going to the season. He was a top two wide receiver for me. I think he's going to stick around the top three for me going into next season for his class, for his class. Yeah. Yeah. He should stay there. I don't think anybody should be panicking. And ultimately we're, we're always so eager to see these guys and they're like, Oh, they should be out there right away. Right. They're promising in the spring and, and good in fall camp and whatever the case is. But there's just a lot of depth to this team at Texas. And that's probably just the biggest issue. That's what we're running into with John T. Cook. So I don't think it says a lot about him. I think the fact that he's already out there making some plays for Texas is promising. So I, I believe, you know, as was one of the segments on other CDC podcasts, like the, the meter, the panic meter zero to 10. I, I really think it's zero for me at John T. Cook. Yes. Like I've been not sweating at all. I don't have any shares, so I guess uh, I've oh. invested. I wish I had shares. I actually tried. Another guy I've tried to trade for actually already, and no luck yet, but we'll see. Maybe he I'll puts share, up a couple. Yeah. I'll, I'll share a trade with you. I In the program, uh, we had a new manager come in, and he's a big Alabama fan. And guess who had a lot of Alabama players? So I offered him Malik Benson and Kobe Prentice, and I got Jonte Cook and a fourth back. I felt... I felt pretty good going to the bank with that one. I felt pretty pretty awesome about that. Yeah, I like that for you. <laughs> but uh, let's go over to the other side of the ball, Oklahoma here. Uh, Andrew Anthony, um, transfer from Michigan. He was at Michigan for two years. Uh, as a true freshman, he blew up against Michigan State for like 100 yards and like a, like a touchdown, maybe two. It, he killed it. I mean, he, he actually blew up in the rivalry game. Everyone loves that. 
Uh, since then, it's just been crickets. Comes over to Oklahoma. Looks like he's got a stranglehold as the one for me, for me so far. I think he's got a stranglehold on the one. He's really shown out on the road compared to at home. I just think that's kind of funny. Uh, but he's got two 100-yard games on the road against Tulsa, Cincinnati. Uh, this is definitely going to be Oklahoma's first test against Texas. So I'm looking at Andrew Anthony. Uh, he was on Debbie Radars, obviously, after that big breakout game. And obviously, since then, I think he's fallen off quite a few radars. He's certainly been off of mine. Uh, but if he has a good game against Texas, I'm going to put him back on. I'm going to be at least monitoring him the rest of the season. But if he plays well against Texas, I'm certainly uh, going to be talking about him more than I have, which has been probably about zero. Yeah, that's fair. He has not got a lot of attention. So even more under the radar than like AD Mitchell, who we've talked about. And I think in some ways, maybe like an AD Mitchell where I don't, I mean, this guy might have an even higher ceiling. I mean, it's really, really interesting um, to watch Anthony play because he can be explosive out there, but I truthfully haven't watched a lot of him this season. So yes, keep track of him on your radar. He's definitely on my radar. Has he been the clear best wide receiver at, at Oklahoma? I mean, some will say yes. And, and I honestly don't think he's, I mean, okay. We're, we're not talking about Drake Stoops as like an NFL guy, right? He's been right. funnel targets. He's not efficient. He's not that explosive. Um, Jaleel Farouk has been a little bit more explosive and, and been picking up targets more so of late, especially this, even this last game, you know, he really was taking over versus Anthony kind of took that back seat. So maybe it's a back and forth the rest of the way. Um, Maybe maybe it's more of a split than people anticipate, but Anthony, I like him as far as a watch list guy, and you're still probably starting him in C to C leagues. And then Farouk, you know, he might be slightly trending up after that slow start. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> do 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 you have any explanation for that slow start? Like, do you have any speculation for why that was? Any news? No, I, I really don't. And you know, you, you can always speculate why you know in one game, such a small sample. Something gets lost in the game plan. The coach doesn't even report that the guy's been playing on kind of a sprained ankle this week. And, right. you know, he's out there. He's a decoy. I, that's probably my biggest speculation, but it's not based on fact or, or anything I've heard. So I, I've I've been on record saying quite a few times, I think this class, like this wide receiver class, has always had quite a few gadgety guys. And I think Jiro Farouk falls in that category for me as far as skill set goes. A lot of, a more of a short area guy than he is a deep threat. Um, although he has gotten some deep balls this year, so I don't want to say that like he's pigeonholed in that. But I, I've always considered him more of a, a yak, close area type guy. So, um, which pairs well with Andrew Anthony, who I really thought was more of a deep threat anyway. Uh, so he is a year one zero, so I've never really thought much of him as far as Debbie goes. I pretty much prescribed to that, even though as we're speaking, um, Nico Collins is on his way to beating that, uh, which, um, which Aaron Wilcox here is not a believer in the Nico hype. Nico Collins, receiver for the Texans. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not really big on, on Drill Farouk. But he's, he's put it together the last couple of weeks, six, seven, nine targets. Um, and I, I know we just talked about Andrew Anthony having two 100-yard games, but Farouk has out-targeted him a few games. So Dylan Gabriel does spell the, spread the ball around, which was talked about. But, again, watch both these guys. Both these guys should be on the draft radar, especially Andrew Anthony. But both these guys need to be making names for themselves. And this is a great game to do that too. This is a very good, like publicized game. It's the it's the uh what's it called? The Orange Creek feud. Is that what it is? Yeah, I forget. It it is big uh, game. So I mean it'd be interesting. The Red, the Red River. It's the Red River robbery, guys. The Orange Creek feud is uh Texas State <laughs> versus Oklahoma State. <laughs> so for there you go. 
Um, the one freshman here to watch for uh, on Oklahoma for me is Jarquez Petaway. Um, we've had discussions even in our Discord talking about what we think his future is. There's only been like one game. He caught nine of like he caught nine of Jackson Arnold's like eleven targets uh, for like ninety yards. Um, I, I think he's like a. I struggle with him even as a as a high schooler, but I thought he was a a like speedy field stretcher. Like I thought he was kind of a Jalen Hyatt or even a Marvin Mims who came from this team. Like I thought that was going to be his skill set slash role that he develops into. Um, so as far as like what an NFL future is, I don't really know. Um, but if he can obviously develop into a Mims or Hyatt, like that's the range of outcomes. I think he can. I think that could be a ceiling. I think that could be a ceiling for college as being one of those two guys. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on Petaway? Yeah. I mean, I do like his athleticism and in that system, it could be pretty darn fun. So in the future, see a lot of him and down the stretch of the season, the fact that he's already been involved and a priority target for, for them in garbage time or, or when he did get some opportunities that he flashed, he was targeted a lot. That, that's promising for his future this season and beyond. So Petaway, Definitely a guy who has some of the physical skills, albeit at a smaller size. That's fine. I mean, he's not like 5'8 from anything I've seen. I think he's like 5'11. And he was a good recruit too. So he has some things going for him. And I just don't really see some of the other guys at Oklahoma fitting that slot role. They have some bigger guys, but in the future, well, who is the future there in that slot? And being fed, I, I think Petaway is there. So maybe he'll be able to break some bigger plays than Stoops, who just, you know, he's just hung around there and, and continues to get some targets just because he's Mr. Consistent. The last guy I want to mention is a tight end. We don't really do tight ends on this show, but JT Sanders, who did get hurt last week, so you may or may not see him. I don't have any updates for you on that. I know it was an ankle injury. Um, but JT Sanders only saw one catch for 10 yards. He only saw eight snaps. Um, but anyway... Uh, JT Sanders is pretty solidified as my tight end too in this class. And I actually think he's the most rounded, well-rounded tight end. I think he can offer more in the blocking game than Brock Bowers can, but he's certainly not the offensive weapon that Brock Bowers is as being dynamic as an athlete. But I wanted to mention JT Sanders. This is our game of the week. So you won't be probably maybe, maybe we won't know until game time. That's how college football is, but you may not see him at all, but don't forget about JT Sanders. He is going to be, I think a good NFL talent here. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think he's a solid talent. Ultimately, probably an NFL-worthy tight end, maybe a fantasy threat at the next level. But I'm also not going to say that like he's is this elite player either. I mean, as far as a high school recruit, though, JT Sanders, Jatavion was a beast. I mean, he yeah. was insane watching those highlights. He's bullying guys, great ball skills. So the fact that he, he's pretty well-rounded and it was a great defensive player, I'm glad he's picked offense, and I, I hope that he gets some, some good opportunity, gets paid in the long run. Good business decision, hopefully, for him. I remember us all being upset when he showed up to campus and was like, I'm playing defense. And that was where it trended at least the start of, uh, the start of last year. Or, sorry, state, start of his freshman year. Getting my years mixed up there. Uh, guys, look, that does it for us here tonight. Uh, Aaron, thanks for coming on. Welcome to welcome to the Devi team. We look forward to your help on the Devi guide. That was just a beast. <laughs> but uh, if you guys want to see more of Aaron, go check him out at Devi Devotional. He has a podcast there with Coach A, friend of the show, friend of the company. Um, make sure you guys get your home field apparel 15% off with the promo code CAMPUS, the number two in Canton for 15% off your first purchase. Don't be afraid to use it for your your um your your wedding bag gifts there for everyone loves it yeah get them into it but anyway 
And who knows, dude? Taylor Swift might start wearing home field apparel here pretty soon, too. But from, uh, from Aaron and from Mike, good night and good luck. Good luck.